and thought today is the day to get working for Jesus. Kat, I'm so excited to find someone who's ready to take action and get things done. Oh man, I am that girl. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I've got something perfect for you, so let's get started. What are you doing? Uh, stand up. Remember, we were going to take action. Yeah, but this is where I always sit. Right, but I need more than this. Oh, I know what you're getting at. Okay, Jesus, how much do you want? What? $50? Is that enough? Oh, uh, that's not what I meant. Oh, uh, all right. Well, 100 then, you know. You drive a hard bargain. Uh, uh, okay, um, but um, you might not want to cash this till next Friday. You know what I'm saying? Right. There you go. Okay, Kat, really, I, I do think it's great that you want to give, but I want you to mentor a younger woman. Right. Well, Jesus, you know, I'm not really into, like, teaching people and stuff. I mean, I'm not, I don't really get into that. Okay. Um, okay. You, you know that woman at the office, Amy? Yeah. I want you to take her out to lunch. Tell her about me. Um, well, Amy is different. I mean, like, really different, you know? I know, but she needs to know about me. Mm, and I can tell the people at the church to call her. I mean, they get paid to do things like that. I want you to do that. Jesus, I just don't feel comfortable doing that. <laughs> no, Kat, the problem is you're too comfortable. Well, today uh, we're going to from God's Word talk about being comfortable and not being comfortable and being bold. And before we get into the message for today, um, we do have a number of guests, and so I'd like to point out the gold inserts in your service folder. Um, and if that could be a blessing to you to fill in the blanks on the main points that we're going to learn from Acts chapter 4 today, also take it home. There's a Bible study on the backside that will. Uh, help uh, sort of uh, allow you to apply these things with your, your spouse or, or on your own. Um, talking about being bold, getting off the recliner, getting out of our comfort zones, and the reality is, is that every, the natural inclination of every single person is to lean towards what's easy and to lean towards what's comfortable, that's why none of us really enjoy change. And it doesn't matter if it's in your church, if it's at home. Part of the reason we don't enjoy change is because we are getting out of our comfort zones. And so let me ask, what does it take for someone to get out of their comfort zones and be bold? I think I have a general explanation to what it'll take for any of us to get out of what is comfortable and to be bold. And that's kind of our first fill-in for today. Bold happens when people recognize that the importance or the benefit of being bold outweighs the ease of being comfortable. That's when you will be bold. That's when we change. When the importance of change, the importance of being courageous or bold, at some point outweighs 
the ease of just doing nothing. Let me give you some examples of what I mean. Um, all of us have heard of the, the pharmacy chain CVS, right? Well, maybe some of you know it, heard the news about two months ago that CVS has uh, made a decision that they're gonna stop selling cigarettes and tobacco products of all kinds starting uh, in October. Now, that just seems to make sense to most of us, right? But I'm gonna tell you, if you read on in the article or heard the news, this was not the comfortable thing to do. I wasn't on on my microphone. There we go. All right. You can hear me now back. Yeah, all right. Um, that wasn't the comfortable thing to do. You know why? Because last year, CVS made $2 billion on tobacco sales. You know what the comfortable thing would have been? Just keep selling. It's not probably the best thing. Let's just keep doing it. Now, they're leaders for probably various reasons, but the one that they've talked about the most looked at this and said, this doesn't, this doesn't mesh with our vision. This doesn't mesh with our mission. We're here to help people be healthier, and at the front desk, we're selling cigarettes that do the exact opposite. So even though it was easier to be comfortable, the importance of being bold outweighed the ease, and they made this really big decision. Now, this whole dilemma between ease and comfort and, and, and bold, um, every guy here that's above, you know, 15, 16, 17 has gone through this. You know when? With girls. <laughs> right? Murray, you experience with guys? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, if you think back to your high school years or maybe you're in high school right now, the reality is, is that it is more comfortable to say nothing to the girl that you have a crush on or to the, the girl that you want to ask on a date or to prom. The only problem is if you say nothing, nothing will happen, right? So at some point, you have to put up with the sweaty palms, the beating heart, and the lack of sleep the night before or that just might be me from high school. <laughs> and you have to get out of your comfort zone and be bold, or otherwise, it ain't gonna happen. You know when a guy asks a girl out? When he recognizes that the importance or potential benefit of being bold outweighs the ease of just saying nothing and staying comfortable. This is true in our faith lives, too. Now, before I get to the dilemma, let me start with what God has said to us about what we're supposed to be doing. And we've talked about it already today, but in our first week of this series in the book of Acts, we looked at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and Jesus' last words to his church were, you will be my witnesses, we looked at this, in Jerusalem, in Judea, the state, in, in Samaria, the places you don't want to go, and to the ends of the earth. You're, you're going to be my witnesses everywhere. And that is, friends, your greatest purpose as a person. In fact, it probably is the only reason that Jesus doesn't just take you to heaven at the moment you become a Christian. Why does he leave you here? I mean, heaven's better. Heaven's yours. We just wasting time? He leaves you here. He leaves me here to make an impact. To have an imprint. 
Not just individually, but also as a church. There's this great kingdom impact that we can do individually and together that God has given us to do. And the thing is, guess what? It's easier to be comfortable and not to say anything than to be bold, to say something, and to speak up. In fact, uh, well, our next fill-in, number two here. It can be uncomfortable, right, to share Jesus with others. <laughs> it can. Not, not with certain people. But with most people, it's a little uncomfortable. In fact, many of us have probably felt not just uncomfortability. We've, we've had some fear over talking to Jesus with someone. You know, what kind of fears might people have? Well, um, we have the fear that we might say something wrong, maybe. We have the fear that we may not be able to answer their questions and look dumb. We have the fear as, as, as students or young people that if we talk about Jesus too much, we might look uncool. As adults, we face the fear of losing some sort of status in relationships with people. We have the fear of looking like we're cramming our religious uh, views down someone's throat. We have the fear of looking like we are not uh, tolerant. We, we have all these fears, right? And, and you probably have others. We have the fear of just getting out of our comfort zone and talking to someone that we don't know or just have never talked to about Jesus. So, so how do we break free from that fear? Well... That brings us back to the book of Acts. And it's really interesting if you think about the, the people who are entrusted to go and to, to share this message. Those first 11, because Judas had died, those first 11, they started out fearful. We've talked about this. Jesus gets arrested, and they don't stick around. They run, right? They huddle in a room. Peter, the night of Jesus' uh, trial, is approached by a middle school girl, a middle school girl, okay, and asked, don't you know Jesus? And he wasn't brave enough, bold enough to even say he knew Jesus. <laughs> but then you fast forward a year or less, you fast forward 20 years, you fast forward 30 years, guess what? 10 out of those remaining 11 died because they were killed, because they were not willing to stop talking, stop sharing. So at some point, they went from willing to be comfortable and fearful to finding and seeing importance and willing to be bold. What, what happened? What did they come to realize? That is what we're going to see today as our, our our goal today is to be bolder when you leave than when you came today. Now, to kind of lead into this week's text, <clears throat> we're in Acts 4. And last week, if you were here for Confirmation Weekend, our message was living the uncompromising life. To, to, there's things we compromise in life. Otherwise, you, can't, you won't be married if you can't compromise, right? <laughs> but there are certain things that we should never compromise. And Peter and John... They were a great example of this as they were um, in the temple. They had healed a cripple, and they did it in the name of Jesus. 
and then they continued to speak in the name of Jesus. And the Jewish leaders in the temple had heard about the commotion going on, and they arrested Peter and John, remember this, threw them into jail. The next morning, Peter and John are standing in front of Annas and Caiaphas, and who are they again? The people who had Jesus killed? <laughs> and they are in this situation where they could have compromised their faith, young people, confirmands who are sitting right here, right? They could have compromised their faith, adults. But yet, as they were asked, in whose name did you do this? Peter stood up and said, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which he must be saved. And there was one thing he would never compromise again. His testimony to Christ, his faith in his Savior, Jesus. Well, how did that happen? After Peter and John gave this testimony, guess, guess what happened? <clears throat> you know, they were fearful that they could have been killed, and they could have. But that wasn't God's plan. In fact, the Jewish leaders released them, not because they liked them, but because there were so many people excited about what Peter and John were saying that they were afraid a riot would come, break out, so they released them. Peter and John go back to the group of Christians um, in a home, and here's what we read. And through a prayer, we are going to see the process that Peter and John became bold. Verse 23 of chapter 4. <clears throat> On their release from prison, Peter and John went back to their own people. And the Christians. And they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Stop preaching, stop teaching, don't say the name of Jesus anymore. <clears throat> when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now let's just stop there. That is the greatest thing you could do. For some reason, and I include myself in here, Lutherans, we don't know how to pray often enough. Maybe it's our upbringing, maybe it's our culture, I don't know. But when you look around Christianity in general, we tend to be on the lower end of the amount of prayer that is important. But we see in these, these early Christians, they hit this really difficult time, and they gather together. One of the first things they do is pray, and then you see the reddened words. They start the prayer, Sovereign Lord. Now, this is really key. The title they used to address God wasn't by accident. They didn't choose in this moment to say Father. They didn't choose uh, to use Adonai. They, they used the word Sovereign Lord. You know what Sovereign means? Uh, sovereign means powerful. Sovereign means in control. Sovereign means in control of all things. What they're saying, they're addressing God. Lord, who's in charge of everything, who's in control of all things, and then they talk a little bit about his sovereignty as they continue in the prayer. Verse 24. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They're just recalling what God has done. The, the God who's in charge right now, they're saying, is the one who created the universe. There's supposedly a uh, meteor shower a couple nights ago. Did anyone see it at all? I was sleepy time for me, but uh, it, the beauty of 
this galaxy, as we sang in our first song today, that God created the Milky Way, the awesomeness of how things work together, whether it be the universe, whether it be um, just even our bodies. Sovereign Lord, I just want to call you sovereign because you created the heaven and the earth. They continue as they still are addressing God. You spoke also by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? These are some words that David wrote. The kings of the earth, they take their stand and rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one, but is in vain. Here's, here's what, what the people, the disciples are recalling. Lord, you're sovereign because you created the world. You're sovereign because you're in charge of the things that happen in this world. That even at the time of David, God spoke and said that there might be nations that plot against you. There might be nations that you don't trust. There's bad things that happen, but guess what? Nothing happens without God allowing it. Nothing happens outside of his plan. This applies to us, doesn't it? I mean, Iran may have at some point or may already have a nuclear bomb. North Korea may continue to be a bully in the Far East. Vladimir Putin, well, he's just Vladimir Putin, right? And it's not good for us as a country to stick our heads in the sand and to pretend like nothing's going on dangerous around us. It's not good for us to put our fingers in our ears and just do nothing. But at the same time, friends, if nations plot outside of God's will, they plot in vain. At the same time as we work on our national defense you know, systems and all that, at the end of the day, God Sovereign Lord is still the one who is our greatest protection. Not a bomb, not, not an air force, not, not anything. It's true at the time of David. It was true at the time of the disciples. It's true today. And then they kind of connect some dots to where they were in the moment. Next verse, 27. Indeed, and this is a Greek connecting word that says, all right, so all these things we just said about God, he created, he's sovereign because he created the world, he takes care of, of the world. Indeed, now I'm going to connect that to what's going on right now. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, they met together with the Gentiles at the time of Jesus' death. And the people of Israel in this city, they conspired against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Not only conspired, they killed him. But... Their realization. They did what your power, Sovereign Lord, and what your will had decided beforehand should happen. See, some point over the last couple of months, the disciples came to this aha moment. They had at one time felt like, where is God? What's going on? The world's crashing down on us. But at some point in those two months after Jesus' resurrection, because that's at the point we're at right here, they came to the realization, this was not an accident. This wasn't the world spinning out of God's control. This was God in control. This was people doing God's will and following a plan that God had set out. 
centuries before. Now, I, I know you probably know what that plan is, but, but let me connect some dots here for you, too. You think, see, the thing is, as difficult as it was for the disciples to go through it, Jesus had to die. Not because only the disciples needed him, but because of us. You can imagine how up in arms the disciples would have been. I mean, a lot of them left their, their fishing businesses to follow Jesus, left their homes, and now all of a sudden he's gone. What do they have left? They didn't see the future like we do through the scripture. But Jesus, God's son, had to die because that was the only way that they would be saved, that you would be saved. Jesus, God's son, had to rise from the dead in order to prove to us, to win for us the ability for us to do that too. And the empty grave is the proof of Jesus' victory. Want to talk about God being sovereign? The disciples didn't need to look back to the time of David. They just looked at the last few months. And at some point in those two months, they came to this realization that this is exactly what God had decided should happen. Now, don't, don't miss this point of God being sovereign because that perspective that the disciples had, we need it today. See, we, we live in a world where worry and anxiety and fear, it runs rampant. And the honest truth is that um, we all deal with worry a little bit. Some of us deal with worry a lot bit. <laughs> I was at a, a pastor's retreat for two days this week, and it, it, the entire thing was to just kind of work on um, our personal faith walk with God. It was for personal renewal and strength and things. And as we went around the room talking about our biggest challenges, I'm just telling you this so you know you're not alone. Um, one of the, the themes that came out the most amongst the fellas there was worry. <laughs> worry about their families, anxiety over their ministries, worry about how people perceive them, worry about people who don't like them, worry about this, anxiety over that. And the other thing I'd have to say is that there are certainly opportunities and times where worry and, and its sister depression certainly has um, some chemical and biological things to it that make it even harder than what I deal with at times with worry. But even in those cases, if there was no sin in the world, there would be no depression and there would be no worry. And so at the end of the day, any type of worry or anxiety at its root there's sin, right? Can we agree on that at its root? And here's the sin. The sin is knowing we have a sovereign God, but not trusting him to be sovereign. Knowing we have the God, the creator of the universe in our corner, but not trusting that he'll take care of us. We're, we're a lot like the disciples. See, God was sovereign, at the time of creation, he was sovereign in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he is sovereign in your life right now. 
I don't care what you're going through. He is sovereign right now. When, when I was a kid, uh, for about 10 years, we lived in El Paso, Texas. Most of you know this. And uh, we lived in a nice, pretty, you know, pretty safe, middle-class neighborhood. But I will say this. With El Paso being a border town to Mexico and to Juarez, um, let's just put it this way. The neighborhood I lived in was not, you know, safe little Lakeville. <laughs> it wasn't safe little Farmington. And there was burglaries and thefts and robberies weekly around. And, and so as a fifth grader or sixth grader, I remember going to bed at night and, and the nights that dad wasn't home because he had a meeting at church or something. I remember having a little bit of fear, being more anxious, being more stressed out. Even as a kid, I uh, hope tonight's not the night that we get, you know, burglarized. The nights that dad was home... This might be a little naive because I don't think my dad, you know, can deflect bullets or anything like that. But I did feel safer, you know, as a child. Your dad can do anything, right? My dad can beat up your dad type of thing, right? You know when fear goes away? In general, it's our, our next fill-in. Fear goes away when you realize that the person for you is greater than the enemy against you. You begin to become less fearful and anxious and stressed out when you recognize that the person in your corner is stronger than the person against you. That your dad is stronger than the burglar. Maybe not, but that's what I thought. That your God is greater than your enemy of cancer. That your God is greater than your enemy of worry. That your God is more sovereign, is sovereign and greater than your enemy of relationship concerns, financial concerns, an unclear future. That God is greater than any enemy against us. You know how you be bold? It starts with having no fear or having less of it. Know how you be bold? Know how the disciples were bold? By recognizing that God was in control, even when things seemed out of control. That this was all a part of God's salvation plan. And they took that boldness and they prayed. Their prayer continued. Next verse. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Now, <laughs> you know what I would have prayed? to pray. Lord, take away those threats. Lord, why don't you, you know, give Ananias a heart attack? <laughs> Lord, why don't I just, you know, close up shop here in Jerusalem. I know I was supposed to start here, but, you know, Galilee, looking pretty nice right now, a little quieter. We're going to start there instead of here. Lord, take away my problem. Would those have been okay prayers? Sure. Are they bold prayers? Maybe not as much. You know what the disciples pray? Sovereign God, you are in charge. I just want you to consider these killers. Just consider it. In essence, that word means I'm not telling you to take it away. 
the word means do what is best according to your plan. Lord, consider, I trust you. Consider their threats. Their request was not to take away the problem. You know what their request was? It continues. But in spite of the threats, no matter what happens, Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Say, Lord, I don't know the future, but make me bold. Lord, I, I don't know if you're going to take away that cancer of my friend or my family member or me. I don't know. Consider it, please. <laughs> but give me boldness to face it. I don't know if someone's going to make fun of me if I go out on a limb in the hallway at school to invite them to church, but give me boldness. I don't know how my family member is going to take it if I say something. Give me boldness. Consider the threats, but sovereign God, give me boldness. Like they needed it. They just had stood up to Ananias and to Annas and Caiaphas, I mean. And yet, they asked for more boldness, and that is a great prayer request, boldness. Um, let's uh, continue with the last verses, 30. They, they continue, stretch out your hand, heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. It's like God's confirmation. I'm here, Right? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They went out and they spoke the word more boldly. My prayers are usually protect me, give me, help me. Protect me, give me, help me. Protect me, give me, help me. In fact, those are the times when I pray the most, right? When, Lord, I need you to protect me, give me, help me, give to me. In fact... <laughs> If you think about your prayers over the last year, if God answered all your prayers, just think about this. Who would be the person's life that would be most changed if God answered all your prayers over the last year? Others or yourself? Now, keep praying for yourself. But how much do we pray outside of ourselves? But give me, give me boldness. Lord, I, I just... I want to be a part of your plan. I, I want to accomplish the work you gave when you left this earth and said, be witnesses. Help me be your messenger. Now, what is bold mission work in the first century? You can go to the next screen, Dean, uh, that next fill-in. Um, boldness in the first century meant <laughs> that you had these two Fishermen, Peter and John, stand up in front of you know, people who could have them put to death and would say, um, hey, I don't care what you think, but salvation is found in no one else. What does boldness mean for us? You know what boldness doesn't mean necessarily? Boldness doesn't necessarily mean loudness. What I mean by that is boldness is not necessarily going down to the corner in downtown Minneapolis, grabbing a bullhorn and saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Um, 
You know, that's not necessarily bold. That's just kind of obnoxious. Here's boldness. Boldness for us is having opportunities put before us, and you know it, but not ignoring them. Having opportunities put before us to share encouragement in the name of Jesus, to do something with someone who doesn't know Jesus, and not ignore them, not stay on the recliner and write a check for $50 like our video, right? But to get out and to not miss opportunities. I know you probably can't talk about Jesus all the time at work. Well, accidentally walk to the car, your car, at the same time as the person that needs to hear about Jesus and do it in the parking lot. Ooh, funny that we came out here at the same time. I know it's hard to talk to a family member who hasn't been going to church for a while or maybe someone who's never known Jesus, a cousin or something like that. No, it's hard. What do you have to lose? What is there to gain? Eternity. I know with your neighbor, it's easier just to keep cutting the lawn. That's the way I am. Naturally, I just want to get stuff done. I've had to train myself to say, all right, all right, I'm going to maybe not get everything on my list today, but I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity with the neighbor who's out spray painting his, his rocket and spend some time talking to him, creating a relationship inviting them over for a barbecue, for grilling out, whatever it might be. Boldness for you equals not ignoring opportunities. With your family, with your friends, with your neighbors. Ah, <clears throat> I wanted to close with a way to really just kind of Grab your attention on this. And so um, remember earlier I had said that boys uh, feel this sometimes, this uneasiness with, uh, with girls. Maybe not sometimes. Um, it depends how much you like the girl um, all the time in that case, right? And uh, it made me think of a movie called uh, We Bought a Zoo. How many of you have seen We Bought a Zoo? Really good movie. I don't say that about a lot of movies because... Uh, <laughs> Nowadays, pastors should not re recommend most movies, but that is a, that is a good movie. And uh, at, in the movie, there is a, a son uh, who had sort of a crush on a girl, and he kind of felt like he messed it up. He wasn't sure what to do. And his father and he had this short 40-second conversation that I, I want you to, to listen to as we close. And, What's you and Lily? I don't know. I guess I didn't listen to something she told me or something. I mean, I liked her. It's like you embarrass yourself if you say something. And you embarrass yourself if you don't. You know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Just literally 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery. And I promise you, something great will come of it. Now, <clears throat> you're not going to find this encouragement in any passage in the Bible. 
This is just something to take home, to remember. <laughs> 20 seconds of courage, huh? Do that with a girl, you might have a date for prom. You do that with the message of Jesus, you might have a friend for eternity. Guess what? You have sovereign God on your side. You have the Holy Spirit that works through you. And you and I have God's calling. That is why we're here. That's our mission as a church, as people. Let's pray.